This is The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. In January of this year, the International Committee for the Red Cross announced that they'd been the victim of a hack, which compromised the data of 515,000 people worldwide. This week, the Red Cross released further information uncovered during their investigation. And here's what they found. Hackers breached the Red Cross server through an unpatched vulnerability in an authentication module. The attack happened on the 9th of November, 2021. It was a sophisticated hack, using tools commonly associated with state-sponsored groups. Not only did the hackers manage to compromise the data of half a million people, but they hid their footprints well. They even used software specifically crafted for the Red Cross servers, so it was highly targeted. The Red Cross doesn't know if the data was copied, but assumes it has been. However, they haven't seen any evidence of the data ending up for sale on the dark web. What's shocking about all of this is that the Red Cross is a humanitarian organisation. So why would hackers try to target an organisation like the Red Cross? Yeah, that one, I I can't say who would do it, right? But I can kind of come up with some scenarios. This is Jack Resider host of the popular podcast Darknet Diaries, which explores stories around cybercrime and major hacks. And before he started the show, Jack was a network security engineer. So to to begin with, there are some countries out there that um, don't have... uh, They're not good with human rights, right? They've had some human rights violations. They haven't treated their own citizens uh, properly or whatever. And so... um, they have tried to do things like stop um, human rights groups within their own country from being able to do things. And um, in this situation, uh, in in a few situations I know of, um, they have wanted to attack human rights groups in order to get information about what, you know, perhaps their citizens are doing and to identify the dissidents, to arrest the dissidents. There are countries out there that arrest journalists for speaking out about, uh, you know, the bad regime that's going on or whatever. And if they're hiding within a human rights group, um, they might decide, let's hack the human rights group. Uh, That's one avenue. (laughs) In the Red Cross sort of statement they you know and they've actually provided a fair amount of information um on what sort of what sort of happened and what they've been able to uncover um and they mentioned this this term which i was hoping you know to get you to um sort of dive into and and explain they mentioned this idea of an advanced persistent threat you know what what's sort of meant by that in in cybersecurity Advanced persistent threat is something that is uh, more sophisticated than uh, maybe a cyber criminal or a hacktivist, right? So we have somebody who has significant more resources, and typically that means it's a nation state actor um, who is sponsored by the government, you know, the, the federal government says you have the military behind you. What do you need to hack into this, right? And so that that brings it a whole nother level of sophistication. If you can imagine, well, um, you know, we need the CIA to go there to plant some malware or bugs in the in the building. Well, now you've got CIA agents on the ground in those locations, right? So uh, an advanced persistent threat can really uh, stop at nothing to get to the data they want. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of what it means. Right. So, so say 
you know, an attack like this uh, is identified and, you know, you're, you're sort of like brought in to, you know, examine and try and find out what's going on. Are there particular indicators that you look for when you're trying to identify whether this is, you know, a lone individual or a state-sponsored attack? Yeah, I mean, the uh, the Red Cross has, has shared some information today about... Uh, they they have a hunch that this was state sponsored, and it, when you look at um, you know let's look at a kinetic attack, right? If you if you have somebody that just robs you on the street, um, you know okay that's kind of low level sophistication. If you have you know some some people who come into the bank with masks over their face and they they've got weapons they're pointing around, okay that's a little bit higher level sophistication. But if you have like three Apache helicopters fly in and some military dress personnel dropping down hot rope, you know, <laughs> under the roof of the building with with machine guns and, uh, you know, they're very tactical with what they're doing and, the, and, you know, get in, get out, extremely precision and then get out with the uh, with the helicopters. Th- th- that's not going to be like some cybercrime gang, right? That's somebody who is very military trained, and so you kind of you can kind of see this in the in the cyber world where you have somebody who's so stealthy and puts such great detail into hiding their tracks and getting around um, antivirus alerts and finding vulnerabilities that don't exist right so you know a a typical malware or a you know a cyber criminal might say well i'll just take what's already off the shelf what's what's the malware out there that we can just already get that's already in the public domain um and use that and that's effective for a lot of time a lot of the time uh but if you have a nation state actor who is has like you know a whole research and development team that can develop uh, malware that is undetectable and does not the vendors don't know it exists i mean that's a whole you know cache of weapons that they have at their disposal so what we're talking about here is is malware that has never been seen before um the vendors didn't know about it it was very stealthy they hid their tracks well they obfuscated um the stuff that they did and that's that kind of stuff we only see with uh, sophisticated people such as nation state actors or uh, advanced persistent threats So how would hackers hide their digital footprints? And is it even possible to prevent a hack from happening? That's coming up after this short break. If you're enjoying this episode of The Defrag and you want to support the work that we're doing, head on over to our website, thedefrag.com and become a Defrag member. You can get an ad-free version of the podcast, a sticker pack, a regular newsletter, and discounts to our merch. Plus, there's a number of other perks depending on your membership level. Becoming a member is really the best way to support the show. It empowers us to produce independent journalism and gives you the best of the podcast without all the noise. So head on over to our website, thedefrag.com, and become a member today. In their initial analysis of the hack, the International Committee of the Red Cross says an external security company detected an anomaly in their system within 70 days. So the group was quite good at hiding their attack. 
So what methods would hackers be likely to use if they wanted to hide their digital footprints? Yeah, I mean, if you think about like a, a typical bank robber, they <laughs> they might put a mask over their head and that's about it, right? They're not going to they're not going to go into the security camera footage and start pulling tapes and delete the backups and all that kind of stuff. And that's what kind of we're seeing is um, they they would clear the logs to clear their tracks and they would um, hide their uh, connections with some other connections that are typical for that, you know, lo- location and um, do things that maybe throw it off the scent too, right? So if it's from one country, they might um, put words in their malware that are another language, or they might attack at a time zone that another country would be awake at and they'd be typically asleep at. So it, it throws them off the path of like, okay, well, it looks like it's from this other country, but it's, uh, it's, that's just a red herring. The Red Cross says the hackers got into their system through a vulnerability that hadn't yet been patched. They apply tens of thousands of patches every year, and they've been actively boosting their cybersecurity defenses. So how common is it for unpatched software to be the path into a network for a hacker? The bigger your software is, or the bigger your company is, the more difficult it is to secure, right? I mean, imagine a castle with 10,000 windows and doors, and there's like a few security guards that have to continuously go around and check to make sure all the windows and doors are, are closed. Uh, it, somebody's going to be opening a window and a door, and it's just a matter of time before somebody detects it and closes it. So, it, it, you know, the bigger it gets, the, the harder it is to keep all those doors closed. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is one of the things that's um, probably most recommended, I, I say, is update your software as soon as a patch is available, um, whether that's on your phone or your computer or any apps you run. Because um, that's going to give you the best shot at stopping um, known malware from getting into your systems. But yeah, it's not always, uh, it doesn't always happen in an ideal world and people get behind. If someone really wants to get into a network, you know, and we're talking about potentially a a state-sponsored attack, so there's, you know, potentially a lot of resources there. Like, is it actually possible to stop them or is it just a matter of time before they find some kind of vulnerability to exploit? Well, I guess it depends on what country, right? Um, Some countries are more sophisticated than others. Some are sloppy at what they do. Some are very advanced. Um, But I do think, um, you know, someone like the United States would be very difficult to stop because like I was saying, the NSA can work with the CIA to do, you know, get someone on the ground to do something for you, right? And if the CIA is there trying to recruit people within an organization to say, can you can you get us some inside information? Can you just put this USB stick in, in some machine inside um, and, you know, getting paid for it and hitting the right person at the right time, right? They're, not everyone would flip on their company or their country, but if they're in the middle of a divorce or they are particularly getting hit with lawsuits or something like that and they're just desperate for cash and somebody says, hey, I've got an extra $5,000 just for you to give me this file, um, then that becomes a, a deep thought for that person and they may decide to take them up on it because it's just the right time, right? So, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of level that they'll go, uh, nation state actors will go to get uh, into where they're trying to get to. So, yeah, I think it is... A matter of time, honestly. Are humans like the biggest vulnerability in in all of this? Well, I do see that. Um, I mean, what, what I was reading before you called me up here was uh, the the crypto 
the, the crypto crypto crimes in 2021, and it just seems like there are so many social engineering attacks on people to get their crypto wallets stolen. And um, yeah, it it's it's always. Uh, it, so many of these cri- kind of crimes all, uh, often start with a phishing email, um, such as you know Red Cross. I'm not I'm not sure how they got in, but uh, if you can trick someone to open a, an attachment or run some software or go to a certain link, um, that can give you a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of entryway into a, a building, right? So um, yeah, you just need to trick someone, and yeah, unfortunately, we're easily tricked. We don't always check all the things and things look good because they they look i mean if it looks like it's coming from another office within your organization and it's just another teammate uh, yeah you're going to cl- click the link and you know when you've got some nation state actors behind this they're going to carefully craft emails do it specific for that person they're going to make it look so good that it's going to be very difficult for you to detect and yeah that is a that is still a very valid way to get into a network is through a phishing email or social engineering someone. Do you have any tips for businesses on how they can improve their security and, you know, at least try and, you know, if not prevent, slow down attacks? Well, at least for people, I think um, using a different password on, you know, different websites, a, a long complex password, different one on each website. Um, I think a password manager is good for this. Uh, updating your software whenever an update is available, um, using antivirus to detect things. And I think those things alone will, will just keep you a little bit ahead of the crowd because it's sometimes you don't really need to outrun the bear. You just need to outrun the other person who's running with you. <laughs> and so the bear attacks them and not you, right? So you just don't want to be the low-hanging fruit because a lot of times cyber criminals will cast a wide net and just see what's out there and then attack that because it's easy. Uh, and so you want to make it difficult. You want to make it harder and harder for them so that they have to expend a lot of resources to get to you. And, you know, in these nation state uh, rooms, they have to get approvals. They've got to get generals to sign off and say, yeah, that's what we're going to actually spend six months doing, uh, a year doing, a million dollars doing, right? And it, it starts adding up and they've really got to say, yeah, this is a target that's worth going after. And and sometimes those resources do get exhausted and they say, you know what, we'll, we'll find another way. We'll, we'll give up on that target. We've got other objectives that we want to do. And so there is a way to defeat them just in the sense that um, make it more difficult for them. Um, so I think um, having a good security team, having good security leadership, um, you know, a, a chief information security officer to, who understands these risks and understands the threat vac- vectors and attack scenarios, um, and then can protect against that, uh, I think, and then, you know, get the, the company to drive in that direction of let's make sure everything's secure. Uh, because some companies are, are ignoring this sort of thing and, and thinking, well, you know, we were using cloud services or something and we don't really have any systems internally. But um, the truth is that you do have intellectual property or database of, of things that might be living on some other cloud system, but it's still under your control and so if somebody gets into your computer then and you have access to that then that's a breach as well so there's a lot of things to consider and um, yeah i think putting security as a priority uh should be every business's <laughs> uh, objective uh working in the digital age 
And if you'd like to hear more stories about cybercrime, hacking, or social engineering, then I encourage you to go and listen to Jack's podcast, Darknet Diaries. It's available in all the major podcast apps, and I'll put a link to the series in the episode show notes. Also in the news today, the New York Times is reporting that Spotify's Joe Rogan deal could be worth more than double what was originally reported. The Times has spoken with multiple sources who suggest the licensing deal was worth more than $200 million. What makes this so significant is that Spotify has purchased entire content companies for less, and this is just a licensing deal. The Joe Rogan Experience is the biggest show on Spotify's platform, but is still under the microscope for spreading misinformation. Consumer Reports has pegged the Ford Mustang Mach-E as the best EV on its top pick list for 2022. The Mach-E was said to be more practical and easier to live with than a Tesla Model 3, and more reliable than a Tesla Model Y. Consumer Reports said both the Tesla models were very good, but found the Ford was actually better overall when it came to reliability, which is a big factor in how they calculate the scores. It also praised Ford's driver monitoring system, which can actively tell if a driver is paying attention to the road ahead. And Amazon and Visa have finally become friends again. The two companies reached a deal resolving a dispute over credit card fees. The fight began last year when Amazon and Visa couldn't reach an agreement over processing charges. Amazon had been planning to ditch Visa entirely in the UK market and had already started telling customers around the world to switch to a new payment method. It was also charging customers in some markets like Australia and Singapore an additional surcharge. Customers around the world received an email yesterday alerting them to the new deal. The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. James Parkinson is one of our producers. If you love what we're doing, then please share it with a friend. We'd love to tell more people about The Defrag. And remember, you can be part of The Defrag community on Discord. I'll put a link in the episode show notes. That's all we have for this week. I'll be back with you on Monday.